Uh, Steph is going to preach for us in a moment from Daniel chapter 2. Um, I'm going to read it to you first. Um, it's 49 verses, so bear with me. But um, yeah, so if you've got your Bibles, Daniel chapter 2. Um, and thankfully, the only long word that's a bit difficult is Nebuchadnezzar. And I know how to say it, so yay. Um, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all of the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this, this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we are asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. 
The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind, and the beasts of the fields and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its inter interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Jan Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, 
At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal cult. I'm just going to pray briefly for Steph before he comes up. Father, just thank you for Steph. Thank you for the time and preparation that he spent um, preparing your word for us today. I just ask that you will prepare our hearts and make us ready to receive what it is you want us to learn. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, so hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Nice to see you all. Um, so, yeah, as Sandra said, for those of you who haven't met me before, um, my name is Steph. And um, growing up, I spent quite a lot of time going to Italy. Um, my mum's from there, and so most holidays we'd go over there, we'd see family. And my favourite part of going to Italy was the football. So growing up, it was like early, mid-2000s. Italy had just won the World Cup. Just put that in there. Um, and I loved the football there. So I've actually got a picture from way back when. Um, I don't know if you can spot who I am there. I'm the tiny one with the blonde mop on his head. That, that is me playing football. Um, and I loved it. I loved going there. I loved playing football. Um, but as you can see, I stuck out a little bit because I am blessed with my uh, father's pale English skin. And back then I had very blonde, blue, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And um, my brother actually is in goal in the background with his lovely olive tan and his dark hair. And so he fitted in really well and I stuck out like a sore thumb. The other thing was that um, my brother was three years older than, is three years older than me and he's a bit more proficient in Italian. So he could kind of keep up with conversation a little bit. And, but half the time I was completely lost. I had no clue what I was doing. I, had, I often didn't know what team I was on, didn't know what kind of football game we were playing. So a lot of the time I spent myself feeling very lost, confused, disorientated, because Italians speak at a rate of like a billion words a second. So it is hard to keep up. Thankfully, we had the common language of football, which kind of kept us in touch a bit. But I found that experience as a foreigner in Italy quite confusing, a bit uncomfortable sometimes. And it really made me feel that, that sense that I didn't quite belong there. I didn't quite belong. We started the uh, book of Daniel last week. Uh, James came and preached on the, the first chapter to us and kind of set a little bit of the background up for us as well. And Daniel was a man who um, he found himself as a foreigner in a strange land. He had been taken off to Babylon. Um, and in that, in that land, he found himself immersed and in the middle of different customs, a new language, new food, new mannerisms, all these things. Um, and the biggest thing, though, for, for Daniel was that in Babylon, they disregarded the God he worshipped. They didn't share the same value system that he shared. And so the struggle that Daniel faced was this. How do I remain faithful to God to his values, to his way of life? How do I remain obedient to him in a foreign place that has no regard for my God? That's the, that's the issue, that's the struggle that Daniel faced while he was in Babylon. 
And uh, in chapter one, it kind of sets the scene for us. So I'll just read you a little bit. So it says, in the third year, um, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, um, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in, in the treasure house. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So that included Daniel. Daniel was um, taken off into Babylon. His homeland had just been destroyed. It had been ransacked. And uh, he would have seen quite horrific things. The Babylonians weren't um, very polite people when they were invading your country. He found that the place where he could practice his faithfulness to God in safety and in comfort had been destroyed. The temple, that, that house of God, the center of worship of the one living God that he believed in had been looted. And so in his, um, when he had been put in chains and taken off to Babylon, I can imagine along the journey there were some questions going around his mind. Have I been worshipping the wrong God? What, what does this mean? Is God dead? Have the structures, the temple that we built for him, is the worship that we've poured out for him meaningless now? Daniel finds himself ripped out of his homeland in exile, as a foreigner. As I said before, it's disorientating and confusing enough when you feel foreign, when you're speaking a different language, when you're trying to get used to different mannerisms. But when your culture, when you find yourself in a different culture that completely disregards your values, sees a life very differently and actually wants to erase your identity, it can be traumatic. The cultural pressure that the Babylonians were putting Daniel under to conform was immense. And if it wasn't just um, kind of subtle hints that he should, you know, change his name or change his hairstyle, there would be persecution. And the suffering would definitely get the message through to Daniel. So how does Daniel hold on to his identity as a man of God, as a worshipper of um, the true Lord? How does he live faithfully? How does he obey God in this strange and foreign land? I think there are actually questions that can resonate quite a bit with us. The people of God have predominantly been a minority culture in a majority, uh, a far larger society. And it's only really in uh, the Western, the kind of Western Europe that this hasn't been the case. And in the past, decades ago, it was normal to go to church. Most people had a basic understanding of who Christians claimed Jesus was. And... Um, they, they may have even known a few Bible stories, you know, jo Jonah and the whale and, uh, and the Christmas story. It may have felt safe and easy in the comfortable knowledge that actually broadly society accepted you if you're a Christian. Society accepted and maybe even respected the church. But that, as I said, was decades ago. 
and especially recently at perhaps an increasing rate it feels as though the values and um yeah the values that that we try to live by are being disregarded and the things that we once as christians um cherished about our country have kind of been eroded we can feel more and more as though we don't quite fit in as though we are living as a minority with the weight of cultural pressure weighing down on us pressing in on us to conform it can feel like a timid little english boy in the face of very vocal and assertive italians doubt can come up when this is the case when we're in a minority it's very easy to ask those questions are we are we doing it right are we believing the right things as people jump to assumptions about what we believe as they don't understand what we're talking about or how we view life as they hold on to different values and challenge us on ours doubts come up then it's it's not particularly helpful when you see scandals come out from the christian world that even more undermine your faith as more and more people seem to leave the church and conform with society around us it can make us feel like it would be an easier option to just give in to stop trying to be different just to fit in with the crowd and we can be left with those same questions that daniel had how do we hold on to our identity as a people of god how do we worship the lord and how do we live out faithfully and obedient to god so we are if you like foreigners exiles just like daniel was um back then and if we are determined to carry on living um faithfully to god and holding on to that identity we have a choice about how we're going to live and in fact um god thankfully gave some very clear instructions really to um daniel and the other people that were exiled so in the um book of jeremiah in the bible the prophet jeremiah um said these words he said this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says to all those i carried to exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there do not decrease also seek the prosperity and oh, the peace and prosperity of the city uh to which I've carried you into exile pray to the lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper i like that nice clear instructions great we can get on and do those things but it does sound strange we're meant to seek the prosperity of those who are trying to uh, of of a nation that has just destroyed my hometown daniel might be thinking we're meant to settle down in a country that has rejected god's values we're meant to bring peace to those who have literally attacked us and persecuted us for our beliefs it sounds strange but the message is clear and as i said we are exiles and foreigners and 
Peter in the New Testament writes to the new believers after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he says this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. I'm going to do a bit of a mishmash. But he starts the letter off by addressing um, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces. You have been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So we, the exiles, the foreigners, have been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And he carries on in chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So let's just pull out a few things from those passages quickly. So we're meant to seek peace and prosperity for the communities that we find ourselves in. We're meant to settle down, be a part of the communities. But we're also meant to be different. We're a people with a different identity to the communities to which we belong. We are holy. We are set apart for service to God. We're meant to be obedient to Jesus, abstaining from our sinful desires and living good lives, different lives that point to God. And that may well bring persecution or at least a bit of judgment as well. So there are these two things at play. We are to seek and bless and be a part of the communities uh, we find ourselves in. But the second thing, we're also meant to be different. We're meant to live by a different identity. And Daniel is a good model for this. In fact, there are quite a lot of people, Joseph as well in the Old Testament, that they're quite good models for how to do this. But it's not easy. You come under pressure, you come under judgment, and in extreme cases, as Peter um, kind of shared before, you can come under persecution. A couple of years ago, um, I went to uh, Cornwall. Um, My sister, uh, her friends, and I uh, went on a little kayaking adventure. And um, they had this like big um, double-person sea kayak built for the sea, And I had this tiny little kayak, which really was not built for the sea. Um, It was built to just like mess around in and stuff. But we decided to go out to these little rocks called the the Kwais. Um, They're about two miles offshore. And we thought we'd just kayak out there, have a look around, see what's there. And I'd I'd done the trip like quite a few times before, so I wasn't too worried. But as we were heading out, we realized we'd been paddling for about 20 minutes. And we looked around and we're still in exactly the same spot. And we were like, oh, we're meant to be over there now, but we weren't. And we were actually getting pulled towards the cliffs over on our right-hand side. So I was like, okay, at this point, we should probably head back, turn around and paddle back. So we did that. And as we started paddling, we realized we weren't just not going anywhere. We were going backwards at this point. We were finding it so difficult to to paddle against the tide. We were, we were paddling and paddling for 20 minutes. Our shoulders were stiffening up and aching. Our fingers were numb from the splashes of the water. Um, but eventually, about half an hour later, we got to the shore 
and uh, it killed us. We were dead for days afterwards. But it's really hard work to kayak or to swim or to do anything against the current. Even if you have your feet planted firmly on the ground, it is difficult to stand against a strong current going against you. But to go with the current, it takes absolutely no effort at all. The only thing, in fact, that you need to do to go with the current is nothing. And that can, that can sometimes feel like quite a desirable option when we're rushing around so much. But the only thing we, don't, we, we have to do to go with the current is absolutely nothing. And this is the situation that Daniel faced. He was in a different country, a foreign one, trying to hold on to his identity as a man of God and live faithfully while the currents of social pressure piled on him, pressed him, pushed him backwards. So, what fueled Daniel's faithfulness in the midst of this current, in the midst of the pressure he was feeling? What was it that gave him the courage to carry on going, to keep being faithful to God? Daniel finds himself in a pretty tricky situation here. The king has woken up grumpy and um, is willing to take out his grumpiness on a load of wise men by killing them. And Daniel is included in the wise men, so in the morning he gets a knock on the door and Ariok, um, the commander of the king's guard, explains the situation. King's grumpy, he wants you dead. And um, Daniel uh, kind of sweet talks his way out of it and buys himself a little bit more time. And he's got till the next morning to try and figure out this problem. Daniel goes back home, prays with his friends, and then goes to sleep. And during the night, God reveals the mystery to Daniel. The dream uh, that Nebuchadnezzar has is of this giant statue, as we heard, made of all these different materials. And Daniel interprets the dream for each of those materials um, being a different kingdom to come. Then a rock, not cut by human hands, comes and smashes the feet of this statue. The statue topples to the ground and smashes and then the pieces just get blown away by the wind. But this rock stays there and it grows and it becomes this giant mountain that takes up the whole of the earth. Daniel gives the interpretation that these different materials are different kingdoms and this rock that was not cut out by human hands is God's kingdom. The rock that comes is God's kingdom. And it's interesting because the dream actually kind of reflects the pattern of human history. You see, God sent humans out of the Garden of Eden. He sent them out to rule over the world, to care for and nurture the natural world, to procreate, to grow into communities. And these communities were supposed to live under God's word, God's um, leadership. We were supposed to take on God's values. But these communities, these people, we rejected God. And so these communities, as they continued to grow, they became kingdoms and civilizations. They became powers and systems. But because they rejected God, they ruled in their own way. They grabbed onto power however they could, through corruption, through oppression, through exploitation. And these are the 
kingdoms and powers and the systems that are represented by this statue. In um, every age, we have had one of these. Perhaps it was Babylon back when Daniel was alive. Then it was Rome. And then a bit more recently, it may have been the Atlantic slave trade or sweatshops or debt bondage over poorer com countries. These systems, they come and they oppress and they exploit and they corrupt and they hold on to power. But the dream showed that one day these systems, these powers, will come to an end. The rock of God's kingdom, his just kingdom, will come and smash them. They will be swept away and they will end. And the dream, interestingly, that, has, uh, that was recorded here has um, inspired revolutions. Uh, Josephus was a... Um, a historian back uh, kind of in Jesus's life and just after and he wrote about how this passage inspired a revolution against the Romans and it was also fundamental to how Jesus understood his own ministry he quotes it to the Pharisees in Matthew 21 and Jesus ultimately did come to start a revolution he came to throw off oppressive forces he came to set us free to live God's way. Even when we were in a foreign oppressive land, he set us free to live God's way, to live faithfully. And so this is what fueled Daniel's faithfulness in the face of the current. It was hope, hope in a good future. Hope that actually the present is only temporary. The difficult stuff that we have to deal with, they, it will pass. And it is far easier to persevere, to keep going when you can see the finish line. It was easier for me to keep paddling because I could see the shoreline ahead of me. And actually, there's a verse in Revelation at the very end which describes this end time, which is just, it's just beautiful. That has really personally helped me and inspired and kind of began my faith. It talks about a time where we will be with God and God will be with us, where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And so knowing that the corruption that was trying to force Daniel to give up his faith in God was temporary must have been such a relief. Hope fueled Daniel's faithfulness. To hold on to his identity as a man of God, to keep obeying God, to seek to bless those who were persecuting him. And the great news is, is that this hope is certain. God is more powerful than Babylon. He is more powerful than the current social pressure that we might feel at work or in our friendship groups. And he, he's even more powerful than the persecution that might come our way. And so we can hope, we can hope with the assurance that God's power can overcome everything, including death, as Jesus proved in his resurrection. God's power, Daniel also credits to coordinating everything that happens. He credits God with the exile. He credits God with this invading army coming and destroying his homeland. He is credited with the rise and the fall of kingdoms. And so hope is also strengthened when we can rest in the knowledge that even if 
our situation looks bleak. Even if an invading country comes and wipes out our hometown, hope is easier when we know that we're still in God's control. It's all part of a larger picture and that God is still firmly with you. And so hope for the future that we find in God and God's power to make this future happen can fuel our faith like it did with Daniel. And this faith fueled by hope um, in God's power, in God's kingdom, can then be expressed. It can be expressed how Daniel expressed it. And two things in particular struck me about Daniel's response, his humility and his truth. As he approaches the problem, he shows real humility and acknowledging that he can't solve it. The first thing he does is go and pray. He needs, God, he needs God's help. He needs his friends around him. And so they pray. Then after uh, God has given uh, Daniel the revelation, he bursts into song. He praises God. He gives God the credit of solving this mystery. And then when he's explaining the dream to the king, he continually drops in these things like no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to, uh, to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. He is so humble to acknowledge God every step of the way and quite courageous in his truth. Daniel's humility and truth into intertwine he's not concerned about his own reputation and instead truthfully and consistently credits god and something i kind of have been mulling over and wondering is i feel i'll speak for myself personally i feel like sometimes i can actually be quite dishonest i can avoid questions i wonder what would happen in my life if i was actually truthful like daniel was you know, perhaps a colleague might ask me, oh, like, why, why have you got into this pr pr uh, like line of work? And I have an option there. I can either say, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, a job. Great. Or I could tell the truth and I could be like, oh, yeah, I think, well, God led me to here. How would it change our interactions with our colleagues? Or perhaps you might be approaching a stressful situation and just trying to remain calm. And your colleagues might ask you, how are you so calm? You have a choice there again. Like, do you say the easy thing of like, oh, well, you know, it's all right. Or do you tell the truth and say, actually, well, I believe that God is with me in, in this and he's giving me peace. It can feel uncomfortable, but I wonder how many opportunities I pass up to give credit to God, to help people see that actually God is active and alive in my life. And often it's just because I'm afraid of the social pressure. I'm afraid of the judgment I might get. I'm afraid of the persecution. I mean, it's not persecution in this country, but it feels like it. But if we don't share what God is truly doing in our lives, then hasn't, isn't that the same result as getting persecuted? If we don't share what God is actually doing in our lives, it's as if we, we were persecuted and locked up in prison. Because the, the truth of who God is and how he's working isn't being shared with others. So Daniel acted with humility and truth. And I, I challenge myself and all of us about how we can do the same. The last thing, though, is that Daniel 
acted in great wisdom. He spoke with tact when he was talking um, to Arioch, and, um, and God gave him wisdom and revelation. And I think this is the key, that God gave Daniel wisdom. One of the commentators I was reading um, when I was preparing for this sermon um, said this, and I found it really helpful. He kind of went through the Proverbs and, and showed actually how wisdom is a person. We have this relationship with wisdom. And the divine origin, he says, the divine origin of wisdom means that at its foundation, wisdom is not a lesson to be learned, but a relationship to be enjoyed. Daniel's wisdom, contrary to that of the learned um, Babylonian astrologers, did not come from books of dream interpretation. Instead, it came from a conversation, a prayer with God himself. We don't learn and we don't try and build ourselves up to these great feats that Daniel did. We enter into relationship with God, allow him to empower us, allow him to hold our hand as we're shaking and nervous about sharing truthfully. Remember the hope that God has given us for a good future. Remember his power and his control over the, um, the, the evil in the day. Let that hope fuel our faithfulness in this strange and confusing foreign land. Then as we obey God's ways, return to him, ask him to speak into our lives. And then let us humbly and truthfully proclaim God's goodness to us.